This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Good morning. Good morning. The first lesson comes from Genesis 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw him, saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant, who hastened to prepare it. Then he took, he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife Sarah? And he said, There, in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The second lesson comes from Colossians chapter 1. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast, steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given, for me, given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hiding throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, in Christ, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Holy wisdom, holy word. Our gospel today is taken from Luke, the 10th chapter. Now as Jesus and his disciples went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. The Gospel of the Lord. At my last church, we had a, uh, a group of folks who would get together every week to look at the lessons that were coming up and to share thoughts about them. And whenever this gospel came up, there was sure to be more discussion than almost any other gospel lesson. Especially... Well, I think this gospel ends up pitting people against each other. The right brains against the left brains. The organized against the spontaneous. The whatever it was, I would come in and I'd see all these set jaws. And we'd be off to the circus. Certainly, this gospel lesson is a little hard to swallow for the more task-oriented among us. We like to think that if we invited Jesus into our homes, that we would work hard to provide a fitting hospitality, which Martha does. And as any good Householder knows good hospitality requires planning. My wife will tell you this. She is very good at backing up from mealtime and saying, okay, the, 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 the meat needs to go in 45 minutes before, the vegetables need to go in 20 minutes before, the bread goes in five minutes before, so it's all ready and warm and presentable at the right time. I go, oh, it's dinner time, isn't it? What's in the fridge? And so it's not hard to see how one might feel the sting of injustice on Martha's behalf. 
because here she is, she's gotten everything in at the right time, and just at that crucial moment when the guest is sitting out in the living room and dinner's five minutes away, when you need four hands, two of the hands have decided to bail and to go sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his stories. At first, perhaps, Martha resorts to a few uh, perhaps more subtle signals, a sigh a little louder than perhaps it had to be, a slammed cabinet door hoping that, Ma- that Mary will hear it and get back on task. But when those hints fall on deaf ears, Martha turns to slightly more direct means. She triangulates Jesus in and says, Master, make her do what she's supposed to do. Tell her to get back in here and help me. Now, various attempts have been made to make this gospel lesson a little more palatable for those who identify with Martha. Various reasons are given why Jesus responds the way he does as a way perhaps of softening his rebuke and getting Jesus off the hook. Well, the problem is that Martha is putting cooking ahead of the kingdom of God. That's why she gets rebuked. Or the problem is that she is failing to be present to Jesus and is being distracted by all the cooking. That's why Jesus rebukes Martha. Or, you know, fill in your own narrative. Because certainly the story does come around to Jesus saying that Mary has chosen the better part. And Martha, you are distracted. Which of course raises the question of exactly what is she distracted about? We can speculate the cooking, the timing, hospitality, but there's only one thing in the story that's actually named. Mary. Martha is distracted by Mary. Mary has chosen to concentrate on herself, to concentrate on taking in what Jesus has to say, to in that moment feed her soul. Martha has also chosen to concentrate on Mary. But instead of feeding her soul, it has led to a sense of injustice and bitterness. Because after all, I think we all carry around, usually unconsciously, occasionally consciously, that ledger in our head that 
keeps track of justice and injustice. We look at the dishes building up on the counter and we think to ourselves, I did it last time. And so we let them build and we let them build. Someone else is going to do them. And we get angry because someone else is not keeping up their part of the unspoken covenant that exists. And that unspoken covenant persists wherever people gather together. We always seem to get distracted by what other people are doing. In the, third, in the first century, the Jews finally ended up expelling the Christians from the synagogue because they weren't doing things right. They weren't worshiping in the right way. In the third century, the Romans persecuted the Christians because they weren't worshiping the Roman gods. They weren't honoring the Roman emperor. They weren't doing things the right way. In the fifth century, I think it was the fifth century, the Inquisition got set off. In the 11th century, oh, now my history's getting all muddled. In the 11th century, ah, the Crusades got going and the Jews were persecuted and two religions that purported to worship the same God and revere the same landscape were pitted against each other because each one saw the other as doing it wrong. In the 15th century, John Huss was burned at the stake as a heretic for daring to suggest that indulgences weren't necessary, that Christians should forgive their enemies, and that the Bible should be the final authority in the church. And in the 16th century, Martin Luther would be condemned for the exact same things. The Pope would excommunicate him. He would excommunicate the Pope and the Protestant Reformation, which led to an unprecedented fracturing in the church. We are preoccupied. We are distracted, sometimes morbidly so, by what the other is doing. And the list goes on and on down to the present day. I just chose a few highlights. Most recently, the whole question of the inclusivity of women in church leadership, the inclusivity of the LGBTQ community, in church life and worship. And always the debate is about what that other person is doing or not doing, believing or not believing, thinking or not thinking. Martha is distracted by Martha. Martha has become her own worst enemy. Because here, 
at her very doorstep, sitting in her living room, is someone who, as Jesus says in other contexts, would give to her a font of living water, would feed her with the bread of life so that she might never be thirsty or, or hungry again. But all Martha can think of is what Mary is doing or not doing. And when we can't convince the other person to come around to our way of doing things, when we can't reason with them, we are quick to resort to force. Master, make her do. Make her believe. Make her think. But force and faith have never made good bedmates. When force and faith come together, force becomes our faith. And we think that we can push and shove people into the kingdom of God if they would just see and do things the way we do. but we can't force people to do anything. In a congregation, you really, really, really see that. People can be persuaded. People can be inspired. People can be moved, but they cannot be pushed. They cannot be shoved. You can hold someone down for a little while, but eventually you've got to move their, your foot and they're going to get back up again. And for that reason, we call Jesus the Lamb of God and not the Bull of Heaven. Because he has come to show us what the kingdom of God is like to by his words and actions to give us a vision of what real living can be like, who this God is that we claim to worship. Because if we can see that, our hearts will be transformed. And we become the people of God. I don't think any of you are here because someone made you come to church. You're here because somewhere along the line, something in this gospel story spoke to you and moved you. We have a president who is very distracted these days. Very distracted by what others are doing. But maybe, well, and in doing so, inspires the country to be overly distracted by what others are doing. But perhaps we would be better served like Mary to sit down at the feet of Jesus and listen for ourselves and to ask ourselves how this might move me. 
how this might transform me and leave the others, so to speak, to God's tender mercy. Because Christ has shown us that God's mercy is sufficient for me and for all people. Amen.